stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Well, I don't know where to start with this one. I am chatting with the amazing Zach Jones. And, you know, we do have a massive culture out there of young people taking drugs. And, you know, I don't know, it's getting hard. And I don't think that most people know what to do about it. But I want to bring this to you today from the perspective of Zach. Now, Zach became addicted to drugs as a teenager. And after several years of this of, and, and alcohol abuse as well, he got behind the wheel of a car and made a f- very, very, very serious judgment doing that. Crashed through a wall, rolled the car. Um, I won't give all the details away because because he covers it in great detail. And ultimately, he injured all the people in his car, seriously injured. And he went to jail for it, has now written a book about it with his mum. And, you know, his mum sharing her perspective as well as his perspective and how sobering jail was. And and we talk a lot about the fact that we don't spend enough time thinking about consequences and we think that it'll never happen to us. But when it does, it could could have turned out much worse for him. But now he's out, you know, talking about it with and trying to prevent it from happening to other people. So I don't know if I'm doing justice to his story because I'm just waffling, but let's get into it. Let's talk to Zach. And I really hope you enjoy this episode because it really is full of vulnerability and rawness and really comes from Zach's heart and he is hell-bent you know to make life better for other people so let's get into it welcome Zach thank you for having me oh it's my absolute pleasure it's uh such a such an well I'm gonna say amazing story you know we're not gonna we're certainly not gonna glorify drugs and alcohol and um but uh very few people you know get to come out the other side and be able to tell, not only tell their story, but be able to share with others um, not to do it. So it's good to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, so it's my pleasure. So, Zach, you know, we, we heard in the intro, you know, that you, you know, you got into drugs and alcohol, you had an accident, ended up in jail, hurt several people, you know, came out the other side and now you're, you know, helping other people. But before all of that stuff happened, who were you as a kid? Like, you know, were you, were you a happy kid or were you a troubled kid? Um, look, I mean, I I talk about it in my book a, a fair bit that, like, I was, I came from a good, like, a pretty good home, um, you know, and a loving family. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know, as I grew up and, and certain um external influences kind of started to affect me I kind of became really quite a sad 
um, um, quite quite lost kid and teenager. Um, and I think that's that's probably where the, the drugs really started. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, when I was younger, I was a very happy kid. Mm. Yeah. I've heard a lot of, I've talked to quite a few people that have ended up in, in drug addiction and come out the other side because otherwise I probably wouldn't be talking to them um, because I probably wouldn't be here. You know, it's a very lucky situation to make it. But um, sadness is a really prominent prominent emotion you know underneath that sort of thing yeah and and like you say it can just be triggered by any um environmental factor and some it's we all interpret emotions differently we all feel things differently or or at least interpret the situation differently and feel the emotions differently but sadness sadness sits there quite solidly so what what was it that um I don't know. Why, why did you think drugs was a good solution? How did that happen? When I was young, I, it was just, I was looking for, for anything to just make me feel different. Um, and I, I didn't really pay enough attention or, or do enough work on myself, if that makes sense. I mean, yep. you know, they didn't, they, they teach it now, but when I was at school, they didn't teach like mindfulness and and they didn't really um, explain what emotional well-being was and mental mental health was when I was young. Or maybe I just didn't pay attention. Um, but yeah, so and I was kind of this neurotic, like hyperactive kid. I mean, it's it's just who I am. I'm a very high energy person. Um, and so my highs are really high, but my lows are also like really, really low. Um, and I think that when, you know, when, you know, 14, 15 year old me kind of was going through all these states of heightened emotion and I found weed, for example, um, and instantly like my mind would stop racing and I could actually just chill out and not think and not always be thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I latched onto it pretty fast because it, it pretty much straight away, um, disconnected me from all those emotions and 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 that and all that hyperactivity um, and you know I'd never yeah I'd, I'd never really had had too many discussions about about drug use and about um, and about you know how how drugs affect your mental health and stuff like that so as soon as I I found marijuana as an example I latched onto it because of how made me feel not knowing that it's not actually helping what I'm going through you know I wasn't in in my head it's like oh yeah well cool if I smoke if I smoke weed then I'm not depressed or I'm not sad or I don't hate myself or whatever um and I didn't realize that quite quickly I was developing a habit um pretty much from the get-go yeah and I think that's the thing, isn't it? People start with weed and then they're like, well, it's not really doing me any harm. You know, it makes me makes me feel great. And I think that before anybody uh, pauses, hits pause or stop on this episode and thinks, oh, I might go do that because it'll make me feel good, please don't because um, the, the effects that it does have on your mental health and the effects that it can have on you overall, your well-being is absolutely absolutely dreadful so that moment of joy isn't worth the um the, the long long-term effects so Look, i i had you know i had and i have friends that 
that you know even even still to this day smoke dope and i've i have watched them progress from like really you know energetic charismatic people um and it's just i have watched it like really dull them down um you know they don't go out as much they don't have as much energy they're always tired they've they've lost that drive and motivation for life and and i think that people tend to um rationalize weed as oh it's just a bit of weed da 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 but it's actually not it's it's a really um it's it's a really powerful depressant you know yeah yeah so dur- during that time so like when you started started taking weed and then it obviously progressed to much heavier drugs and then the time that you um had the accident went to jail in that time did anybody try to pull you off the journey like was it was it were you hiding this or was it obvious to people and they were trying to stop you or it's 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 impossible to hide something that you're so actively pursuing and engaged in um and look my my mum and my parents are always very attentive um you know so i there was nothing that i could hide from the i could try and hide it but they'd always they'd always find out um and i think really honestly part of me didn't didn't really care i mean when i was growing up the the rule of the house was there's no drugs in the house and if you don't want to abide by that rule then you have to leave and i quite happily left so i mean i think that speaks volumes um Mm. but so yeah i think um yeah i would say that i you know i just i actively pursued it yeah did, did they talk to you about it and say, Zach, you know, you, 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 this is going to ruin your life. What are you doing? Absolutely. Um, and a lot of people try to help me. I think when it, when it comes down to it, you, it doesn't matter what you do or what you say, unless somebody wants to change and wants to help themselves, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing you can do. Yeah. And this is in a lot of my presentations and a lot of my public speaking, um, I, you know, I say that a lot, but I also have to remind myself a lot because like I do, I meet some incredible people, like some incredible young blokes, um, even just, you know, in everyday passings, you know, you meet, you meet people that you really want to help. And cause I do really want to help people and I don't want to see, you know, young blokes go down the same path that I went down. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately I do have to remind myself sometimes that you can't, you can't always help people unless they want to be helped. And unfortunately, um yeah there was despite all the people that did try and steer me in the right direction um I was yeah I was pretty set on going going down one path yeah which ended up being a a tragic path and very very lucky that nobody was killed because that would have been a a completely different outcome for you now and like just lucky one I'll say one fateful night you decided to um get behind the wheel um, completely wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and just um, with a car full of people and um, injured multiple people. So um, take us back to that night. So I was, uh, I finished work one Friday night um, and and unfortunately the lead up to this night had been, you know, was a month two months, three months, like could have even been, you know, a year in the making, unfortunately. So there was a culture within my 
friendship circle that we would get together on the weekend and just get as drunk as possible and just really write ourselves off. And I think it's a pretty normal culture these days, unfortunately, um, especially with, with my generation in drinking. Um, and so anyway, I finished work and I got a message from my friend saying, Hey, we're going to a comedy show tonight. Do you want to come? And, you know, long story short, we did, we went to that comedy show. It was good. We had a few drinks while we were there. I drove us all back to my place um, and pretty much while we were on the way home, we kind of um, already really committed ourselves to pushing it pretty far that night. We were joking about it in the car on the way home saying that, oh, you know, we're going to get smashed and, and everything like that. And so when we got home, we really just attacked, attacked it. So we, you know, we were smoking weed, we passed around bongs and we were just drinking recklessly you know so you know a few beers pretty quickly turned into a few shots and then you know a few shots resulted in us really just sculling straight liquor um and so naturally we went through i think there were like about three bottles that night and we went through them pretty fast um and yeah so me and at the time or sorry me and, me and the passenger who ended up being in the car in the front passenger seat, we were just taking turns sculling from a bottle of vodka, um, just back and forward. And, um, and that was the last bottle of alcohol. And, and he said to me, Oh, we should go to the all night bottle shop and get more. And I had my keys in my pocket and I just wasn't thinking. And so it was about 30 seconds between me sculling a bottle of vodka and getting in a car. And so I was already drunk, but that alcohol hadn't even hit my system yet. Um, and so me and my friend, we got in the car. And as I was pulling out of the driveway, um, yeah, three of our friends got in the back and because they wanted to come with us to get more alcohol. And as I was pulling out of the driveway, I actually backed into a car that was parked across the street. Um, you know, and I say it a lot like that, that should have been the absolute biggest indication that I should not be behind the wheel. Um, yeah, I feel like that was like the world giving me one more chance to just pull back into the driveway and just sleep it off, <clears throat> which I did not. Um, and so I pulled out onto the highway and, and began driving and I already was swerving lanes and couldn't really see straight, but then all of that alcohol that I just sculled really started to hit me. Um, and I lost all sense of direction. I lost any ability to regulate my speed or, you know, control, control my vehicle um, safely. And, and yeah, so I was, you know, I was speeding and I was, I was swerving lanes and I had no idea where I was going. Um, my, my front passenger pulled up his phone to give me directions and we'd driven to this, this bottle shop a lot. So, you know, I should have known where it was. Um, but again, I was just too, too beside myself. And um, so my passenger was trying to read me the directions. Again, he was incredibly intoxicated as well. And he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't read the directions on his phone. So I looked down for a split second at his phone or what felt like a split second. And when I looked up, I wasn't on the road anymore. And I was flying towards a brick wall. And everything went black after that. Um, and 
yeah, the um, the car crashed. The car ran off the road down an embankment. Actually, and it was a four-wheel drive. It was a pretty big car. It managed to fit between a power pole and a tree. Wow. And so we went through this brick wall, rolled, and then the brick wall um, was around like a, like a retirement village type thing. And so the car went through the brick wall and through a car park, missed every car, um, like not even a brick hit one of the other cars. It was just so strange. The car rolled several times, landed pretty much on its roof, um, caught fire. Um, and yeah, kind of, we were all stuck in the car. My foot was pinned. Um, my, my front passenger was pinned in the car um, really badly. He had to be cut out of the car. Um, our friends in the back um, were, were all, all sustained, you know, different injuries, um, head injuries. Uh, one had a fractured vertebrae, so it was very nearly paralyzed. Um, and it was just, someone was actually driving past with a fire extinguisher in their car and actually put the fire out. Wow. Um, and yeah, so my, my friend had to be cut out of the car and, um, like it was, it was a horrifying experience. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself had someone have passed away that night and just the thought of it alone is um, very, very traumatizing, I guess you would say, um, because it, yeah, it was just a sheer miracle. While I was in jail, you know, I'd, I'd watch the news pretty much every night and it happens almost on a weekly basis. I don't know if I just became more aware of it or it's happening more, um, you know, young blokes drink driving or just people drink driving and, I've, I saw countless crashes that were half as bad as mine where people died. Mm. And that's a really, really harrowing reality. Yeah. Um, and so the next day I, I, I woke up in hospital and, you know, I was asking nurses and doctors, you know, where are my friends? How is everyone? Um, and the, the lack of answers was very scary. Um, they said, look, as far as we know, everyone's alive. Um, some of them are in a pretty bad state. Um, but we were all at different hospitals. So, um, yeah, I mean, just that fear of not knowing the state that everyone was in was, was absolutely terrifying. And um, unfortunately, like, it was a mix of guilt and knowing that I was, I'd really fucked up. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but like, <laughs> at, at this point, like that's, that was, that was my reality. And so, you know, um, even that wasn't um, enough of a wake up call for me to really turn my life around or maybe like it was because I mean, I have turned my life around since then, but in the time between my car crash and going to jail, um, I really only slipped further off the edge of the mountain, um, off the edge of the world and just, um, yeah, abused drugs and abused myself and, you know, whether through guilt or, or just, you know, just being really addicted. I just, um, yeah, I really checked out. Mm. 
Wow. How long was it before you went to jail after the accident? Um, actually, about 18 months. So I was wow. I probably about three weeks after the crash, um, police asked me to come in and I, I went in and, and was interviewed and formally charged um, and I was bailed. And then, yeah, there were just, there were hearings and, and a bunch of different, because um, it was in the county court and so there was a bunch of due process. Um, but yeah, so the 30th of May, 2019, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, 30th of May, 2019, I was, I was sentenced to four years, nine months. Wow. What, what went through your mind when you were like, far out, I'm going to jail? Um, I mean, at the time, it's like a death sentence. It just, mm. uh, I suppose, because I was young and, yeah, I mean, four years, nine months just sounds like, like forever. Um, mm. And so when, I mean, so my, I had my, my friends and family were in attendance um, of, of my sentencing and, and they were all incredibly emotional. Like my mum was just bawling her eyes out um, at the front of the courtroom, which we, we write about in the, in the book, Why the Fall. And, and um, probably I, I held it together a lot better because she was there. Um, I really kept the poker face because like she was suffering enough. And I figured if I don't show that it affects me, um, it might not be as painful for her. So I was really more focused on her um, at that point. But yeah, like, you know, in the, the few days after that, that sentencing where you're sitting in, in a jail cell and you're thinking four years, nine months, it's just like soul crushing. It is like the, the biggest weight on your shoulder. Wow, I can I can imagine. Do you do you think um, you obviously experienced remorse? You know, and I, I wish I hadn't done it. And you talked about that earlier. You know, guilt and I fucked up and that. Do you think were you thinking more about remorse, like um, that re remorse for being caught or remorse for putting innocent lives at risk? Well, and this is the thing when you're young and dumb you don't understand how your actions have consequences for other people mm. uh, and what I mean by that is people who are not involved in your in your choices or um, people who have done nothing wrong suffering the consequences of your actions um, and so I'm not specifically talking about the people that were in my car that night because whilst they were affected by my actions you know we all got in the car we all we're all drunk. Um, but my loved ones and their loved ones, as an example, they did nothing wrong. Um, and so I don't think, um, I just, yeah, being young and dumb and obviously being intoxicated, you don't think about consequences for other people. Yeah. How do you, um, how did it impact your, your family? Like, oh. You said that your mum was like a mess in the court, but yeah. what did it do to her spirit, her soul? Um, I mean, yeah, that was the thing. It was like, you know, we had already pretty much been estranged for a while um, because of my drug use and because and I, I continuously was going off the rails. Um, 
that had really driven a wedge between me and my mum. But she's my mum. She absolutely adores me. Um, and so when when I was getting sentenced to jail, I mean, she was just it, it just crushed her, and and it didn't end there. I mean, my mum did my sentence with me in her own way, and it's yeah. I mean, the harshest the harshest punishment that anyone gets is felt by the people around those who have been put in jail. And it's, it's really like a common theme that people um, trying to support people in jail and stuff like their lives are on pause. Um, And so that's not as well known, but yeah, my, my mom did every day of my sentence with me, um, you know, 912 days. So yeah, it it was, it was pretty hard for her. Um, Mm. Yeah. And I think that you, you, you know, I was about to ask you, did, did you ever think it would happen to you? No, um, I, I genuinely didn't, you know, and that's that, that teenage thing of, you know, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, it'll, it'll never happen to me. And I had this like just um, really confronting moment where, you know, growing up, you watched those drink drive, you bloody idiot commercials. And there was one where a guy, drank, drove, and then um, he crashed his car and they pulled him out of his car and laid him next to his dead girlfriend. Um, and he just, like, cried and screamed, what have I done? I, you know, I didn't mean to do this. And I I had that exact moment. They, they laid me down next to one of my unconscious passengers and I will never forget how terrified I was. And I, 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 I don't know if I said it out loud or to myself, but, like, what have I done? And... Um, yeah, it it never won't affect me. Um, but yeah, it's I did I did think yeah it will never happen to me, and I mean I, I hear it and say it all the time, and it's just like no, it, it it'll never happen to you until it does, and when it does, it's like bad. It's really bad. Mm. it's like when you talk you know saying about the consequences of your mum you know having to do that sentence with you the whole time and it's and and I don't I don't think there's very many people on this planet that would go yeah I don't care if I go to if I go to jail and some shit happens to me you know I hope everyone around me suffers there's very few people that actually think like that but the, the I think the root cause is we just never think it'll happen to us you know so while we would not want to inflict that pain on those we care about Mm. deliberately we just think what's well, never going to happen because you know i'm so bloody particularly young men particularly young men are so sure of consequential, themselves consequential thinking is something that that um i, I suppose we should focus more especially towards your young males yeah. um, because they don't ha- particularly have the best common sense on a good day with the wind behind them they've really you know, we are quite beef-headed. Um, and consequential thinking is is a really important thing and it's something that I think we lack. It's, um, you know, men's brains, and I can't remember the exact the exact ages and that, but their, their neocortex, you know, their, their, their complex thinking actually doesn't really develop properly until early 20s, something like that. And 25, I can't, yeah. 25, yeah. So it's like we are asking the impossible and yet we still give... Keys and alcohol, uh, you know, we make that available to people that are not, um, 
uh, not fully functional with their thinking. But I think that, you know, I remember when, I remember Bethesda, which is the brain injury, you know, they treat um, brain injuries and that sort of stuff. It's a rehab centre for car accidents. Uh. It's filled with young men. And my brother-in-law was in there for, um, you know, several months. And I remember a time when they used to take HSC, whatever, year 12 students in there, you know, and used to make them be confronted by this, um, by people that with brain injury. And, and that actually had quite an impact. And I don't know if they still do it or not, but I, I think that you can't tell, you can't tell young men, uh, this is going to happen, that could happen, you know, because there's no way, they're not even listening. But I think when they see it you know, in, in person, really see it, I think that has, I think that has an impact. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's not the aim isn't to scare people straight, but showing people the end result um, is is incredibly powerful. I mean, my mum talks about when she was in school, they used to they showed her this anti-drug video about um, you know, this like 16-year-old girl, she was beautiful, she had a really bright future. Um, and then they showed her like after six months of, of like heroin use, for example, and, and she died. Like, and so they showed all these photos as she progressed over this six month period. And she talks about that a lot. Like that scared the absolute hell out of it. Um, and, and I have a very dear friend, Melissa McGuinness um, from YouTube's Youth Road Safety. And so she does presentations up in schools in Queensland and we're trying to get her down here to Melbourne. Um, but her son, Jordan, did exactly what I did, uh, but he died and killed four people. Mm. Um, and so she does presentations now to schools and it's probably one of the most powerful presentations that I've seen. Um, like I, she showed it to me and I, I cried several times. Um, and what she does is she shows people the impacts that our actions have on our loved ones. Um, and from the side of a mother who's lost her son. And that's incredibly powerful. And that's, that's the kind of message that gets people thinking. And, and yeah, I think when people see the finished product, it, it becomes a lot more real, like, oh, wow, that, that could happen to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. And I think consequences have changed too, um, you know, with the, with the legal system, because when I was younger, if you were charged, you, you, yeah, that was it. You, you didn't get a slap on the wrist 26 times, you know, like what happens now. Like, like you, you, you were gone. And even for people, like I'm 59, but we see a police car and we're like, oh, shit, have I got my seatbelt on? Oh, shit, where's my phone? You know, like we, yeah. we straight away go, and maybe there's too much fear in that, but we go straight into a, oh, shit, am I doing the right thing? Because consequences were bloody beaten into us when we were younger but now you know I've worked a lot with youth and it's like they're, they're not scared at all of the law it's like whatever there's no consequences I don't care so it's not unless something bad happens like you that it's a real kick in the bum and um you know I talk about I talk a lot about my my teenage years in my book but so I I was in trouble with the police since I was about 13 um, from, you know, everything from, you know, shop theft, criminal damage, um, and things like that. Um, and it was always a slap on the wrists and, mm. you know, I'd get bailed or I'd get a good behavior bond or I'd, you know, um, you know, I'd get a fine or whatever. Um, but 
yeah, it was always just slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist. And, and that's kind of just what I began to think getting in trouble with the law was, as dumb as that sounds. Um, but it's a pretty... It's it's a pretty widely shared view among young people until someone actually gets a big whack. I mean, um, it's and it's really similar with driving. You know, you get caught drink driving by the police and like you'll lose your license. But you know, that same trip, if that same trip ended in you crashing your car instead, and someone was on board, whether or not they were hurt or killed or whatever, like negligently causing serious injury or reckless conduct endangering life, which are predominantly the charges that they're, they're what I was charged and set um, convicted of. Um, and those are massive charges. And so reckless conduct endangering life, like that's the person doesn't even have to be injured. It's just what you were doing could have resulted in their death. Um, and so, yeah, like getting pulled over by the police, that could be how it ends crashing your car and you're looking at jail time and it's, it's a massive jump. So, you know, you get pulled over the police, you get a fine, you lose your license. But if you crash, then you go to jail. Like that's a massive, massive leap. And I think people don't understand just how close they are to a big sentence every time they get in the car drunk. Yeah, it is. It's just one little one, one little snippet away from that. When just what's it like in jail? Um, it's not a day camp. It's not a holiday resort. Um, it's, it, look, it's a very high pressure environment. It's a very, very volatile place. Um, in a lot of ways, it's not too dissimilar to school. I mean, it's a very close knit community. Um, everybody knows each other. Everybody knows what everyone's doing. Um, so rumors are a really big thing. Um, gossip, but it's, has this underlying tone of just violence. Um, like that is the go-to for everything, which is just, it's, it's like a jungle really. Um, but all that aside, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of loneliness. It's um, a lot of time spent with all your demons and all your thoughts. Um, yeah. A lot of sleepless nights. It's yeah. I mean, and, Look, that, that can either do one of, one of two things to you. You can either actually look at everything you've done throughout your life and want to change, or you can kind of look at everything that's happened as it's other people's fault, and that really does happen. But, yeah, no, jail was, I mean, for me, it's an, it's an incredible duality because jail has been, jail was the hardest thing that I've ever had to endure. Um but at the same time, it saved my life. Yeah. And I'm not saying that jail is a good place to go and turn your life around because it's really not because the, the greater consensus of people in there are not trying to change their lives. And so when you're really trying to, to change who you are and to better yourself and to address, you know, past traumas and your addictive tendencies and, um, and kind of fix your behavioural um, patterns, you're really going against the grain in jail and um yeah it makes it makes it a lot more difficult um but yeah it's it's crazy how it really did save my life in a lot of ways yeah well and i, I feel like saying one silly decision um and but 
you think it was one silly decision or do you think? No, I have, I have this discussion a lot and especially with, with um, blokes I met in jail. I mean, you know, you've got, you know, career criminals um, who understand full well that their actions, like jail is a potential consequence of their actions. Um, and they, some of them treated me with this, like sympathy, I guess you would say, um, where it's like, oh, you know, you, you fucked up one time and you got this massive whack, whereas this dude, you know, bashed the crap out of his wife and got half of your sentence. Um, and I would and I would say, you know, I, I actually it began by me saying like, yeah, no, that's unfair. Like that's, that's pretty messed up. Um, but when I really started to look into what led me to jail, it wasn't one mistake. Um, mm -hmm. It was like eight years of drug abuse and and reckless behaviour that led me to that point. Mm. Um, you know, and it wasn't the first time that I that I drank and drove. Yeah. And you know, most of the people that were in jail for for drink driving and drink driving related offences wasn't their first time either. Um, and that's the thing. Like it's it's. I mean, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that say, oh, you know, we all, we all did it. And it's, it's like, well, that's, that's wrong. Like that's messed up. Why are we like that? Um, it wasn't at all one slip up, you know, um, that's kind of people who say that they're kind of minimalizing um, what happened. Like I was a drug addict and I was a really reckless individual. Um, and so when I think back to the person that I was like, that was always going to happen. That was absolutely mm. always going to happen. And that's, yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah. And I think those um, people that say, oh, just one, I just did it once and this, I think, I think that's also a bloody victim mentality too. Oh, poor me. I just did this, you know, and, and now look at me and, I think that we've got to get much better at looking at looking at the consequences of our actions. But like we say, you know, maybe maybe we're not good at that. But um, you know, I'm interested in the book "Why the Fall." And so, you and your mum wrote the book "Why the Fall." What what is that about? And like, what what can people expect to read? So this this is "Why the Fallen." Um, this is mine and my mum's book that that we started writing while I was in jail. And I was at the very start of my sentence. Um, and so why the fallen started is more or less a confession to my mom. Um, it was the first step in me rebuilding the relationship with my mom. And so I just, I came clean about everything. I started writing about starting when I was like 13, which is when I really started to go off the rails and everything that happened between then and the crash, I just, I wrote it all down on paper. Um, and so the reason, the reason we started doing it was because we kind of at the both, we kind of both at the same time, we were on the phone one day and I'd been thinking about, you know, writing my story, just getting, getting all my thoughts and feelings out there just as a way to pass the time. Um, Cause you know, the first month of my sentence, like you just don't sleep. You can't mm -hmm. stop. You can't stop worrying. Um, and at that point, that's when you really need something to focus your time on. And so mum said to me on the phone one day, she's like, I really think I want to write a book. And, you know, I said to her, holy crap, I've been thinking the exact same thing. Um, let's do it. Mm. And 
and we got off the phone and I like pretty much ran to my cell and just started writing on loose leaf paper. Um, and the book is about how I went from like a happy, happy young, young kid um, and just fell so far into drug addiction and, and hanging out with the wrong people and reckless behavior um, and how that ultimately led me to jail. Um, but the, dis, the disposition of that is um, it's all written from my mum's perspective as well. Mm. So you really see the impact that all of my behavior over a 10 year period or, you know, eight year period um, affected her, um, you know, affected her jobs, affected her mental health, financially, um, everything. And so it gives people like a really um, good perspective on, on the impacts of addiction and, mm. and reckless behavior and, and the effects that that has on people around you. And so obviously it's also about how I really became determined to turn my life around while I was in jail and um, what I did while I was in jail to, to actively turn my life around the help that I sought while I was in there um, and the things, the tools that I, I've used to really turn my life around. Oh, that's good. So it's got tools as well. That That's terrific. I think um, it, it sounds to me like it'd be the perfect book for a teenager to read because then they look there, they do have that um, window to consequence. Do you know they do have a window to see, shit, if I do this, look at the, look at the pain that it's causing those mm. I care about. But I think it's also for good for um, the parent to read because by, by reading your story, they might yep. just they might just have a window into oh shit I think that's happening with little Johnny and I never I never saw that before you know I never saw those signs before so that is exactly what it is and so the book is the book is available now um, you can buy it at our website www.whythefallen.com but so the people that have read the book so far and have have told us and have given us their feedback have said exactly that that reading it from a parent's perspective you my mum Jane really shows you what to look out for um and ultimately what to do when when your child is going off the rails and a lot of that just has to do with looking after yourself because like I said earlier you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped um and the best thing that you can do is actually just look after look after self and I think mm. That and, and a lot of the other insights that my mom offers really does help parents because, I mean, the thing is there's a lot of parents going through this, good good people whose, whose kids are just destroying themselves and there's nothing that the parents can do. And that isn't their fault, you know what I mean? Um, the person that I became is not, it's not my mum's fault. Um, you know, and that's a really important thing to note. And yeah, and so the other side of that is um, younger people that have read my book, whilst they've connected to what I've written, one of the most powerful pieces is when they read my mum's writing, they see their own parents, they see their own family and loved ones and go, holy crap, like how how could I allow myself to, to put my family through that? Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting you talk about self-care, you know, for your mum to, but it, it sort of kind of, it goes against the natural grain of a mother because 
there's very few mothers who can, without a lot of effort, say, I'm going to put myself before my kid. Like that, that's a really, really, really difficult thing for a, a mother to do, you know, because even though that's the right thing to do, because if I can't look after myself, I'm not going to be there for my kid. But then the natural instinct is that I'm going to trash myself to save my kid. And that's what most mothers, that's mm. the natural way they go. So that's extremely powerful, you know, for mothers in particular to read that like because dads are a little different dads just get angry and I'm not I'm not saying that I'm generalizing but it's kind of frustrated like feeling that feeling of helplessness just upsets them so much do you, you know whereas the mum sort of goes into warrior mode and it's like what can I do and I am generalizing because I realize that's not exactly right for every single family but it is look there's exceptions to the rule um but you know, it it is the most common case that, um, particularly in my case, every time that I'd mess up, you know, growing up, mum would be there to pick up the pieces. Um, and whilst I mean that's that's what a good mother does. At at some point or another, continuing to do that is only enabling the behaviour. Yeah. And so yeah, you can always be there to help help your kids when they need them. But at some point, like you've got to actually just not be there because. Otherwise, they're just going to keep fucking up, coming back to you. You're going to put them back on their feet and they're going to do it all again because they know that they've got that like safety blanket there and it, it's a subconscious thing. Um, but, yeah, so. Yeah, I get it. I used to be, um, you know, be a behaviour specialist and the same thing, I used to say that to families, you know, you, you, you're actually enabling this behaviour and you've got to draw a tough line. And I never said leave leave them, but it was always like you have to draw a tough line or it's never going to change. But parents, for some reason, see their kid as little Johnny, who's a cute little three-year-old, cute little five-year-old who can do no wrong. And, you know, I it, it's it's a very complex situation a very tough situation but at some point you've got to you've, you've got to draw a line with your kids and say well that you're stepping over the line and that's not that's just freaking not on and yeah. it's that's a hard 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 bloody thing to do yeah absolutely because there's a fear there's a fear in that you know if i if i estrange from you or desert you or um dump you how am i going to live with myself if you go out there and completely trash yourself and then end up dead, and I was the one that let you go, how am I going to live with that? So there's this constant hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, you know? See, and that's the thing, like there's no, when someone's going through what I was going through, just that self-destructive behaviour, there is nothing that you can do for them. And so really the only thing left to do is just let them go, right? But the other side of that is... Um, yeah, of course, like if they, if I did kill myself <clears throat> that, that night, you know, you know, my mom would blame herself for the rest of her life. Yeah. Um, and so there is no easy way to do it. There is always that, that risk, but it's unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> it is a matter of either enabling the behavior or, or putting your foot down and not not allowing the behaviour, but the outcome could be the same either way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. well, it's a bloody hard line. You know, it's really, really hard. And and 
it's difficult. It's a difficult job being a parent, but it's a difficult job also being a kid, a teenager in in today's environment. And you know, I've got my, all my views about drugs and the bloody drug pushes and the you know that. But it, I'm not going to change anything. The only way I can change anything is to bring stories like yours, you, you know, mm-hmm. out into the open and and hope that. Um, hope that it even saves one person, Do you, you know, because... I, I tell myself all the time, like, if I... To save one is to save the world. Um, and so, yeah, I will tell my story to anybody who listens, <clears throat> um, you know, and and from what I've done so far, the public, the public speaking engagements that I've, I've delivered so far, um, you know, it seems to kind of resonate with some people. Um, but I think, and this is the thing, like, you know, we teach sex education to children in primary school, um, but then all through middle and senior school, we just say, don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol. And there's no um, education on, like, let's say responsible drinking, for example, in schools. Um, they say, just don't drink, don't drink. And then they turn 18 and, and suddenly they can buy as much alcohol as they want. Yeah. And I think we need to treat, especially in this day and age, we need to treat drug and alcohol education the exact same as sexual education. You know, they don't say anymore in schools, oh, don't have sex, you'll get herpes and die. You know, they say, okay, well, you're going to have sex. You know, let's talk about having it safely. And they need to have that same discussion about alcohol. Yeah. It's okay, you are probably going to drink. Let's talk about what responsible drinking is and being a responsible friend is, not allowing your friends to endanger themselves or other people. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think that with that, on top of having conversations about consequential thinking and where, you know, drug and alcohol abuse can end up, I think a combination of that kind of education is the best way to stop these kinds of things happening. Yeah. And it is the best preventative measure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we do have a crisis, you know, with... with, um, people's academia not being so great and all that stuff but we've got a, a greater crisis of um you know young particularly young men suicide and um you know and drug abuse and alcohol abuse we 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 do need to be putting more of our education into that and you know if they haven't learned to i'm getting, i'm probably going to get my ass kicked for saying this from people but you know if they haven't learned to read and write by the time they're a teenager they're probably not going to so for god's sake start start teaching them how to how to live how to survive you know what the consequences are don't wreck your life uh, i don't know i don't know the answer it's just it's just frustrating so well, we've got two teenagers in this house and you know it's a constant frustration about you know what what should be taught what should be taught at home you know but when they don't listen when they do listen you know you know you, and you can't say don't take drugs when well, we say it all the time but it's that doesn't fucking work do you, you know it's anyway yeah, well, unfortunately you know teenagers they know it all yeah <laughs> well so did you and so did i <laughs> yeah so did i and then and then i don't know what happens but you you know you kind of turn 21 and realize um I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much my mum was right about everything. And that's that's pretty harrowing. Like I went from mum, you don't know anything to mum. You know everything. Teach me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly in schools, um it's it's weird because I mean we are developing so much as human beings. Um 
and we're still using an education system that's quite quite old now. Um, so people people learn differently, people think differently now, and so I think there's there's different kinds of intelligence that isn't represented or or helped in school. Um, yeah, really, and a really really smart intelligent people that don't do well in school but have done very well for themselves outside of school you know professionally so um yes yeah, school isn't the be all and end all you yeah. know what i mean yeah I, I do know what you mean plus we're getting hammered by technology as well you know so it's even doesn't even matter what and the school's not keeping up with that and it's just a smack 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 all of this it the stuff that's just bang 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 social media that's just you know, you can't even. But anyway, we could go on about that for forever. So, but you're you're public speaking, so you go and talk in schools and clubs and yeah, all that sort I, of stuff. At, at the moment, I haven't I haven't done any school presentations yet. I'm in talks at the moment, um, but I am always available um, for talks at schools. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of presentations for an organisation called Veteran Mentors, um, and so they are all army veterans and they run boot camps for troubled teens. Yeah. Um, they're up in Queensland as well. And so they they asked me to come and share my story because a lot of the blokes that they are helping out and like they're, they're really helping these kids out. Um, they're doing the exact same things that I wear. So that's veteran mentors. Um, yeah, and I'm also starting to work with You Choose Youth Road Safety, um, Melissa and Peter McGuinness. I mentioned their story earlier. Yeah. Um, they've got like these incredibly powerful messages and, and they're out there reaching out um to schools and stuff so yeah i've i'm just at the start of this journey um and so i'm still trying to get myself out there and and everything but yeah i'm really doing my best to try and help because you know i've I've been there and i know and so i think delivering my story and my messages is one way or another is reaching out to a few people yeah I think be very powerful. And I think that you, you you will pay far more attention to somebody who's been through it than somebody who's up there, you know, telling you what to do. So Yeah, that's, that's the feedback that I've heard so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I hope that people book you. So um, I've absolutely loved this. It's been fantastic. I mean, it's, it's a horrible story, but it's a great outcome, you know, and, and potentially the, the, the fabulous part of all this is that you're going to save lives. And, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even think potentially needs to be there because I think you will. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it that you will. So if people want to get hold of you and follow your story, I want them to follow you anyway, just so that they can see, you know, positive outcomes of shitful situations. But if people want to book you and all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? So you can either reach out to me on my own social medias. It's just Zach Jones, Z-A-C-J-O-N-E-S, um, or through our book business page, Why the Fallen. Um, our website, whythefallen.com. You can contact us through there. Our email address is info, whythefallen at gmail.com. Um, yeah, there's a hundred ways to reach out to me, guys. Um, so please do. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. And I'll put all those in the show notes. And um, uh, Zach, I've absolutely loved this. And thank you for, like, not, not only thank you that you came through the other side. And, I'm, and if jail had to do that to you, then I'm glad it did. But just thank you for your, um, your honesty and your vulnerability and, you know, your, your willingness to, to help other people because we need more of you in the world. That's for sure. Thank you very much. I'm really humbled by that. Mm, I really loved having you. So let's stay in touch and um, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Zach. See ya. Oh, guys, wow. What a what a story. I think, um, I don't know, you know, I, I shared a few of my opinions in there, but it's, uh, you, what do you do? It's such a difficult thing at the moment, you know, the, the pressure that teenagers are put under. And is there an answer? I don't know. But this um, whole thing about consequences is such a problem. But I'm just so grateful that Zach is out there telling his story and particularly to young people, and I, I don't know, just just maybe they'll maybe they'll take one little thing from it, and somebody somebody's life might be saved simply by by reading Zach's story or by hearing him speak about it. But um, you know, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I don't I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what to do about this sort of problem that is really rampant in our society, other than me bring these stories and sort of. Uh, put them on the table so that people can at least confront them and sort of not bury their heads and pretend that they don't happen because they do happen. And I guess we're very, very much of the thought it'll never happen to me, you know, and the, the truth is it can happen to any of us. And not only, not only that, most of the people listening to this, you know, most of you are not 17-year-old uh, boys um, using drugs, but you are parents and you are people that are on the roads and I certainly don't want um, a drug affected or alcohol affected person you know on the roads with you at the same time or with me so I think the more that we support these stories and the more that we get information out there the 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 greater the chance that all of us are going to be much safer in life and not only that I think that it's sad that these um, young kids and like I said that the that sadness seems to be the thing underneath and if only we can find ways to you know address that and help kids to feel happier and you know I think social media gives them an absolute trashing but anyway that was a fantastic story fantastic outcome thank god nobody was killed and um, I, you know, go follow Zach and on, on social media. I'm going to put all the links in below anyway. Contact him on LinkedIn under Zach Jones. And also their website is whythefallen.com. And I reckon that would be a damn good book uh, for families to get hold of. So anyway, um, that will do. I hope you got a lot out of that. And uh, again, thank you for joining me. And I'll leave you pondering this episode and I'll see you next week. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.